a miracle at UGP. Are you ready for a miracle with UGP? Oh, radio is here for you. We're going to learn something new. Are you ready for a miracle at UGP? underground professor gaily swinging my feet high atop a double rainbow as it arches over the hermitage of north texas's liberal conservative studies it has been way way too long since i've been on the radio i'm going to go an hour minimum i promise at uh firing any technical problems because it's raining outside it's got a pretty good storm going I literally got home about five minutes till, <laughs> at, uh, well, about 10 minutes till. It took me about five minutes to get all my wet rain gear off and everything, and I had to ride my motorcycle. I'm still on my motorcycle. I don't have a car. I'm hoping that that will be fixed tomorrow. At, uh, uh, it was uh, <sighs> what a ride. You almost never 
had to suffer listening to the Underground Professor Radio Show again. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, I had so many people almost hit me out there with the rain that I ended up just putting on my flashers so that people could see me. At, uh, it was crazy out there. Hey, Mr. Filter, guest 2067, my favorite listener of all time, the Tsarina, Anne of Southern Sense, is here. Her show tomorrow, uh, la, 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 1 o'clock Central, I think, um, on Blog Talk Radio and 100 different other places. Top 100 radio show hostess in conservative talk radio. And that says something as big as I am. I don't even make the list. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of lists, man, I am excited. I have lost another 10 pounds. I'm down to 225, and I haven't been 225 since uh, I was in the military. It's been a long time. It's been 20-something years since I've been 225, uh, maybe longer. So I am super excited. That's what happens when you have a girlfriend and you spend all your money on her and can't afford to eat anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Megan is doing better. Um, I, I didn't really explain why I couldn't do the show yesterday. But, uh, let me let me tell you what happened. I took Megan and the girls and her uncle and uh, and brother went out to uh, go see Trolls, which is a cute movie. Got bathing humor and stuff. Uh, you know, I've never seen Trolls, so I don't know what to expect. But they had trolls that blew glitter out of their rear ends and <laughs> things like that. And the kids loved it. They were absolutely crazy about it. We got them some shirts with their trolls on it and uh, so that they could dress up. And then they went to church with me. And they were troopers, knowing that if they suffered through church, they'd have to go see trolls. So they did a good job of suffering through church. And, uh, and then we went to see the movie. Uh, oh, my God. You know what? I almost had to take a mortgage out to buy tickets for nine people and then get two big old barrels of popcorn, four make, you know, large drinks, and I don't know, Megan picked up four or five uh, boxes of candy for everybody, and, and then a whole lot of paper little cups. And then she spent half of the movie dividing them all up into cups and then handing them out. And to, I think if everybody had just, if we'd have just had the popcorn and, and the drinks, I think I would have been fine. Because the kids were, and, and, and no you know, no problem getting the candy, but I think the kids were so tuned in to the movie that they did not really notice the candy. You know, it was like a, a yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, but they were excited. Well, anyway, then we went to Costco, and then we went uh, uh, home. And when we got home, and I, I don't know if I've told you all or not, but Megan we met in the hospital and uh, when my mom was in the hospital and Megan has had cancer and chemo and it messed up her heart, which put her onto a heart transplant list. Uh, she's like 400 something on the heart transplant list. So her heart isn't doing very good. Well, after we got home, it was so much going on that her heart started palpitating. And I was concerned about that. I forgot that uh, when we got home, I got stuck by a train. I got home. I was all kinds of mad because I couldn't do the radio show and it was pissing me off. Like an idiot, I didn't check the time on my phone. I just looked at all the clocks in the house and none of them changed. Not the cable clock, you know, on my cable box, not my grandfather clock. Of course, you know, it's 
not going to change unless I do something. And uh, and so I, I I'm stressed out about her heart. I'm stressed out about time, and I'm not sure really what to do. So I just I just punted, and I apologize to you all. Uh, I probably could have done it, but I wouldn't have been very good because I would have just been worried about Megan. And then uh, to make it worse, uh, her brother is a juvenile diabetic. He's ten. He is an amazing young man. Uh, I love him to death already. Uh, he's so brave. It's just amazing. He has to get shots every time he eats. Forget about a shot every day. He has to get shots every time he eats. I'm learning a lot about diabetes that I had no idea. My mom's diabetic. I was pre-diabetic, but with my change in diet and exercise and stuff, I'm off of that scare list now. And, um, and with my 10 pounds loss, that's got to help too, I'm hoping. But I'm learning a lot about juvenile diabetes and ketones and whatnot. Well, I guess it was just a lot for him because all night uh, uh, when they got home, she said it wasn't an hour later, boom, he started throwing up and getting sick and, and projectile vomiting like the exorcist. And he hasn't stopped since this morning. And, uh, you know, they've got the medicine. They've done everything. But so if you guys could put Megan and, and Jerry on your permanent prayer list, I would appreciate that. They've become on mine, uh, God knows. So anyway, I survived the trip home today. And I was damned if I wasn't going to get a show going. Uh, I wasn't going to pun again. Hey, welcome, Doc. That would be awesome if our guest was Billy. We name all of our guests Billy here in honor of one of the original listeners to this show, um, who was in his late 70s, I would bet, by now, at, uh, and probably can't listen to the show very often or, or come live anyway. He's, uh, uh, so, but we miss Billy. We have a lot of old listeners that used to be part of the family and have kind of drifted apart. Secret Agent Steve showed up at church yesterday, which surprised me. Uh, for all that remember Secret Agent Steve, you know that he had to move to California. He's writing a book now. He, he did that book on the um, uh, Tour de France, but now he's writing a book on Milwaukee football, if I remember right, or Michigan football, one of those uh, uh, he's writing f- about on football. So uh, he said he'd contact me, and we'd get him on. We'll talk about his new book and everything. You're right, Doc. Diabetes is 45% of your practice is diabetic foot care. Wow. Yeah, I understand if you're diabetic that you can lose your feet. You get amputated and stuff, that it messes up the blood flow in it or something. But um, so the uh, diabetes is scary. I, I can't imagine what it must be like to be 10 and be a diabetic, be strapped to a bag you have to carry everywhere with you with shots in it. And the shot, you know, they, they got glass tubes. You got to be ultra careful with it. Uh, you can't eat half of anything. And then uh, when you do eat, you got to take a shot. I just, I don't know. That's uh, my heart just goes up, but you know, maybe some of it's that he got it so young that he, has grown up with it and he doesn't know any different, right? And so it's okay. He, he's, he can handle it. If I had to do that at my age, I think I'd just say, you know what? Bring me about seven liters of Dr. Pepper and, and a bag of candy. And I'm just, I'm going to go out happy. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I hate shots with a passion. I don't know how he does it. I can't even watch when Megan gives him the shots. 
That's how freaked out I get by shots. I've been stuck by a billion shots in my life, and I still can't stand them. But uh, you would think instead of wasting money on AIDS, which is a virus, and we really can't do anything about viruses, you'd think we'd spend more money on things that we can do stuff about, like hearts and diabetes and lung cancer and you know things that can be fixed by medicine instead of wasting trillions of dollars a year on on a disease that's basically you get from volunteer status. I know people are going to hate me for that. Send the letters. I'll take them. <laughs> but still, you know, there are things that we would be better served spending our money on than that, I would think. That, uh, yeah. So, anyway, there is that. And uh, I guess that's it. Uh, Donald Trump has come out and said that if he loses the race, it will be the biggest monumental waste of time ever. (laughs) And not just for you, Donald, (laughs) for a lot of us. Uh, They lose feeling in their feet, Doc says, develop ulcers and sores, uh, difficult to heal, leads to infection, then amputation. And there's another condition called charcot, which is when the feet are numb, they can get so much stress that the bones literally shatter in the feet and the arch collapses. Ugh, that's terrible. Charcot. Now, I don't even think I've ever heard of that. Most of the things I've heard of, but I'm pretty sure I've never heard of charcot. C-H-A-R-C-O-T. The stock market has surged today. It has surged. For two reasons. One, because the market thinks Hillary or Carcot, Carcot, C-A-R-C-O-T. I'm getting all of it. Charcot Charcot neuropathy. Ah, (laughs) okay. And uh, what was I saying? Crud. Oh, the stock market believes in Hillary Clinton. What does it tell you that a woman whose whole damn election has been attacking Wall Street thinks that Hillary is the one to vote for and that she's going to win and that the market is going to be stronger because of it and therefore the marketplace surges? Does that make sense to you guys? Well, we all know that her attack on Wall Street is a lie. It's a faint for the useful idiots of the Democrat Party to believe in. It's, it's red meat for the idiots that vote Democrat and hate people who make money and aren't taking money from the public. I get that. But why would, and this is important, why would the stock market surge thinking Hillary is going to win, the Clinton is going to win, and not surge on the thinking that Donald the Trump is going to win. You know, a businessman, somebody who would be good for business, someone who would make business priorities, make business decisions. We heard all that, right? So why wouldn't the stock market be upset if they think Hillary's winning and not Donald? Well, I'll tell you why. For one thing, Hillary Clinton is a servant of Wall Street, the big money. In Wall Street, and a lot of that money in Wall Street comes from the ragheads. It comes from Saudi Arabia. 
It comes from Iran now. Iran's big time in our, our market all of a sudden. Who knew? Giving them a few billion dollars and they could run around and start screwing with our economy. She's bought, she's paid for, and she lies to the people of the left that she's against Wall Street and she'll hold them accountable. I mean, she's never holding a damn thing accountable, not even herself. Who, you know, how is she going to hold Wall Street accountable? The reason there is a surge in the market because of the belief that Hillary is going to win is because they know it, we, it means, I'm so angry, I can't even talk, it means business as usual. It means nothing's going to be fixed. It means we're not going to get after the corruption and the high crimes and the misdemeanors. It means that we are not going to rein in Wall Street. It means that they will continue to prey on the weak, if you believe that's what's going on. Wall Street is excited because their man, Hillary Clinton, is going to win, they believe. And that means that it's business as usual, that a lot of people are going to make profit at the expense of everybody else, and that cronies will be rewarded. And that's what we're looking at, people. That's why the Sark market didn't tank, because Trump's not going to win. Now, why do they think Hillary's going to win? Well, one reason is because of all the idiotic people out there saying Hillary has been exonerated. Hillary has not been exonerated. All that has happened is that the progressive idiot that runs the FBI, Colmey, a alleged registered Republican, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll buy that, fine. Doesn't matter. Why do we keep getting hung up on these who's a Republican, who's a Democrat? Because it does not matter. That's why I don't identify myself as a Republican. What matters is how you believe. Do you believe in the party platform? Comey doesn't believe in the party platform. Hell, Comey doesn't even believe in the rule of law, and he's the chief law enforcement officer next to the attorney general. We have a crisis in Washington. The rule of law is dead, and the only chance to save it is not to hire Hillary as president. I'm not saying this is a strong endorsement for Trump. God help us, 240 million people, and we end up with Trump and Clinton. How sad is that? We had a constitutional candidate, and we destroyed him. We helped, because I got annoyed at the little crap that was going on. In the long scheme of things, it didn't matter if they, the things that did, that were done. We're going to pay a price no matter who wins. Hillary was not exonerated. Comey simply said, I'm sticking to my principle. I created a new doctrine, the Comey doctrine, that if you didn't mean to screw over your entire country and put it in jeopardy with national security and get people killed because of it and cost the country millions of dollars, then okay, all you have to do is run to the old oak tree, tie a yellow ribbon around it and call King's X and you're safe. Meanwhile, how many people in the military are at Leavenworth because they accidentally walked out of the office with classified material or they took a picture of themselves in their submarine and it ended up because it's classified getting them at Leavenworth for a year. Google it. You'll come up with a thousand people serving out of the military. Honest, God-fearing, patriots serving your country, and they're in jail for a mistake. Why? Well, they didn't intend to do it. 
but that doesn't matter. They're in jail, not because they're in a tent. They're in jail because of their action. Hillary, though, is so above the law, that rule of law that no longer even exists in this country, that she doesn't have to worry about intent. She doesn't have to worry about her wrongdoing or being held accountable because she's important. She was not exonerated. She is still the crook that she's always been. And if she wants to come on here and debate me about it, I'll do it. Come on, bitch. I'm ready. I am so goddamn tired of you and what you have done to this country, what you have done to my Constitution, what you have done to the rule of law. I would be happy to debate you. And if you don't like what I'm saying, sue me so that I can depose you on the stand because I'll countersue. I'll have your pantsuit butt in that chair, and we'll talk to the American people and find out what's going on under oath. I won't give you immunity in our lawsuit like the frickin' government does so that you can't go there and spill the beans. They didn't give you immunity because you're protect, you need protecting. They didn't give you immunity because you're important to this country. They gave you immunity so that you don't sell out everybody else when you go down the river. And all these cowards up in Washington are so goddamn scared of you telling all the bones and skeletons and problems and everything else they've done that they're going to protect you no matter what. And that sickens me. I don't know anything about this satanic crap that I'm seeing all over Twitter and Facebook and everything but the Clintons, but I'm not surprised if Soros is a Satanist. I'm not surprised if Saul Alinsky was. He, he dedicated his book to the devil. I would not be surprised if the Clintons were involved in some kind of satanic rituals. Hell, this is why everybody commits suicide, by shooting themselves in the back of the head 15 times. <laughs> Mary, Mary's trying to order me some uh, muscle relaxers or something. Met- Metro Prolo? <laughs> Vi- uh, what is that stuff the rich white chicks always take? Uh, Vic- not Vicodin. What, what's that they take to calm out and zone out? I can't remember it. Uh, but not Zoloft or whatever it is. This country is too important to throw away. Blood pressure medicine. Ah, I, I take a tenanol for my blood pressure. I may need another tablet. Too many people have sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Too many people have sacrificed their bodies and their their way of life, their their value of life. Prozac, that's it. That's right. I've sacrificed my body. I'm a cripple. I'll be a cripple for the rest of my life. I am never not in pain. Never not in pain for the service of my country. And I do it all again, except for the knowledge that we are pushing this down the crapper. That people are more interested in a welfare check that they're stealing money from their grandkids to get and borrowing from the Chinese than they are to do the right thing, to get out and get a damn job, to get out and fire these people who are crooked and becoming millionaires and billionaires at our expense. And what do we want to do? We want to put the same people back in office. sickens me. At the waste of blood, life, and limb, and treasure that this country has squandered since Bill Bill Clinton has been nominated and put in office. From Bill Clinton to the Bushes to Obama, they have all progressively destroyed our country. Thank you, guys, for that. It's my honor to serve. 
It doesn't sound like it right now because I'm hurting and I'm annoyed and I keep thinking how it's been squandered. And it angers me. I don't think Hillary's going to win fair and square. We have a Democrat National Committee who fired Debbie was a man Schultz because she got caught fixing the conventions and and the primaries between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. So who do they replace it with? They replace it with Brazier. Donna Brazier? Hold on one second. Real quick, I'm on the air. Yep. No, not the one that I gave you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, go find it. You can. I got to go, honey. All right. I'll do it. Uh, hold on a second. Tell everybody yourself. What? Say, say, say what you just said. Can't wait to introduce myself to everybody. Y'all are talking to the best man on this world, and God bless me with him. Woo! That's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got you off speaker again. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. <laughs> That's my woman, Megan. Shout out to her. She asked for a shout out <laughs> and said she can't wait to introduce herself to us. She, they're gonna. She's gonna come over someday, and we'll we'll put her on the radio. And uh, and Periscope, you'll be able to see my hot chick, and you'll think, what world? What do I have that I get a woman like that? And, uh, and, and I'll tell her all the y'all are saying, hey, Megan. <laughs> but, uh, um, the uh, yeah, see, my blood pressure just dropped. See, that girl's good for me. Yeah. There's there's several women in my life that I don't think I would function without. I got my my daughter. Bailey is super critical, important to me. And, uh, my mother, who I have a great relationship with and is one of my best friends and has been for a long time now. Uh, I, I just can't imagine. You know, when we had her in the hospital, I kept thinking I was ready. I'm, I, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to lose her. She's in her 70s, and I'm not ready to lose her at, uh, because she's so important to me. Megan has become important to me. Mary, my czarina. God knows I couldn't function without her. She is my radio show and, uh, and the reason that we have it. When I was ready to crawl away and, and say, forget it, I'm done, <laughs> she, she convinced me to stay, and she salvaged the show single-handedly. So this is not the Underground Professor show. This is the Zarina show, um, and I'm allowed to come and talk on it. <laughs> She's super cute. I'll put some pictures in the hopper for the next show. How's that sound? And, uh well, I'm going to be doing a simulcast tomorrow with Kel and Agador and, um, and Jeff over at the EDL in England. Uh, so uh, I'll put some pictures in the hopper. I'm going to come on at 7 o'clock, I think, or 8 o'clock Central tomorrow. 8 o'clock Central. 8, 9, 9 10, uh, 7 o'clock. I think that's it. I'm going to come on at 7, and I'm going to stay with them until 10 p.m., but well, heck, I don't know. Just find out when I tune in for the show. But I'll either be on at 7 or 8 p.m. tomorrow, uh, live on Periscope and on um, on Blog Talk. 
and we'll be simulcasting all that. At, uh, and I'm not sure what it's going to be. I know you're going to go to SHR, uh, and, and that's okay. It doesn't hurt my feelings that you would go to the Sackheads Radio instead of my show. Even though they've told me they're going to carry my show live and you can't even find my show dead on there. And that doesn't hurt my feelings that they just roll me out every July and tell me what a good friend I am and then roll me back and put me away. <laughs> the bloviating Zeppelin and, uh, and Sean and, um, and Clint uh, are going to put on a great show to SHR Media. Uh, go listen to, to uh, Holger. Go to Holger Awakens, H-O-L-G-E-R Awakens on Blog Talk Radio. You'll find it. Just type in Holger and it'll come up. Big stone guy sitting like this, right? Uh, Amazing shows he has. The first Saturday of every month. And from Southern Sense is Common Sense Radio. I think that's hyphen, Southern hyphen Sense Radio or something like that. Uh, Maybe if she types it in, I can can remember it. I have shortcuts on all that, so I I just type in my phone number. I type in Ann, and it calls her show, and I listen to it. Her show tomorrow, uh, I think, will be at 1. And uh, Cal's joining SHR. Okay. I don't know how she's broadcasting. I thought she was going to be on uh, RZ's show, and then she was going to go to RFE and then do two hours or something like that. But Holger is an amazing man. The exceptional conservative would normally be on right now or in 30 minutes, uh, but not doing a show because he's at the Kennedy Center again. Very important man. He is my best friend and does a show called The Exceptional Conservative Show. And it, uh, it is completely different from mine, which makes it fun because we balance each other out and, and we push and, pr- and provoke each other. And we do a simulcast every Thursday from 8 to, um, 8 to 10. And everybody's trying to get him to do three hours. All he's got to do is come on my show at 7, Mary. You can tell him. And uh, call in, and then there we got the three-hour window right there we can do. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, the, the awakening, the legacy of Barack Hussein Obama was Holger's last show. <sighs> you won't sleep after it, trust me. <laughs> so... Anyway, uh, there's a, a few plug-outs for guys with shows on uh, Blog Talk that I, I like. And uh, and it, the Exceptional Conservative Show, you can find that. He's not on Blog Talk, but you can go to the exceptionalconservativeshow.com and find that. He's trademarked and uh, copyrighted, too. So, all right. He will be doing the simulcast with Kel and Jeff and I tomorrow. And I guess that's all the business to get out of the way. Uh, what else? Um, I guess that's that. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the stock market is the stock market. It reacts to things. It wants stability. And that's what it seeks mostly is stability with stability comes good markets. People are willing to invest. They're willing to do things. When it's scary, when it's rocky, when it's unknown, then people pull their investments or they put them into bonds. All right? This is why they support a Clinton administration. Even though they know it's bad for the country, even though they know it's bad for Americans, they know that it will be business as usual and stable. Trump is a wild card to them. They don't know what he really will do. He does, they don't know what 
his intentions are with the market and rules and regulations, with the Fed. The Fed has come out and said they want to raise rates. They don't want to do it before the election because they don't want to piss everybody off against the Democrat Party. But they're going to raise the rates, they said, if Hillary wins. But they're not going to raise the rate, and they claim the reason they're not raising the rate now is so that because Trump may win, and if Trump wins, he has so many different ideas and things he's talked about that they won't know how to predict the stock market, and so they're not going to raise the rates for the interest rates. Okay? Now, that's important to them because they want stability. They also want crony capitalism, which is going to come from Hillary. We really don't know what we're going to get with Trump, but we do know one thing, and Zarin is absolutely right. Wall Street's not going to be able to buy Trump because Trump can buy Wall Street. So it's not going to work. The, the hey, Heat, welcome in. Heat sinkers in. So, so this is why the stock market reacted. Comey says, I don't care how guilty Hillary is. I'm not going to press charges. I'm not going to file charges. So Hillary gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. Okay, so if you don't sit still, you're going to fall, my little blind buddy. Yeah. Hendon's in my lap right now, Sir Hendon. So then the head of the Fed comes out and says, we want to uh, – it's a boy. <laughs> this is Hendon. He's my – He's my blind dog. He's got an eye sewn shut and blind. And he's, a, he's also available for adoption from DFW Pug Rescue if you want to adopt a dog. And, uh, and he's a great, great loyal little buddy. And, uh, and uh, so you have, you have the Fed coming out saying they might raise rates, if, though they will raise rates if Hillary gets nominated or not nominated, but elected. Uh, if they raise rates, that means that companies can make more money because they can raise their rates, right? And we actually probably should be raising our rates because they have been artificially suppressed for a very long time. Yes, I'm a foster parent for uh, DFW Pug Rescue. I have six dogs right now. And uh, I have one pug that's fostered, one that I adopted because I, I have a foster fail. And... Um, and then I have uh, four other dogs. So you've got that whole string of events that I've laid out already. And this is all predicated on the belief that Hillary's going to win. And they think she's going to win because the FBI is not going to press charges. Now, let's sit back and see what happens to the FBI. Because my sources are telling me that Comey's desk is littered with letters of resignation that he is not accepting, by the way, but his desk is full of them. Every day, more and more agents come in and toss their letter of resignation out of disgust for the violation of the rule of law, for the crony capitalism, for the cronyism alone. Uh, uh, I don't know, what, what do you call it? Where is uh, White Mamba when you need him? I, what, what would you call, not, you know, crony capitalism is when you reward your buddies with contracts and stuff. Three feral cats and seven Three are yours and seven are fair. Wow. At uh, the, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, the, you know, the cat lady, I'm the dog guy. 
Um, but what White Bomba would the uh, title be for somebody in the legal system that's a crony activity, you know, that you're protecting your buddies. Uh, I just called it illegal, but, you know, there might be a term for that. If White Mamba's on Twitter, pop it up there and let me see. And uh, it should come up on my screen somewhere. And if Agador's out there, shout out, Ag. Um, so anyway, there you go on that. Um, not only is he getting letters of resignation, but there is a lawsuit, a collective, yeah, crook, of course, crony crookism. There, we'll call it that. That's the term we'll use on this show, crony crookism. Um, there are agents coming together to file a collective lawsuit against Director Colmey of the FBI and the FBI itself for what it's doing. Now, this isn't going to help the election, of course, and nor should it. Yeah, that's it should be aside. It's unprecedented, these press conferences Colmey's having. I mean, can you imagine? When's the last time you saw stuff like this? It was during McCarthy era, right? So it's not a surprise that, you know, that we've got McCarthyism alive and well in the FBI here. But, and from the left. I, I, I was saying something earlier about not caring about parties. And what I mean is this, is let's not get hung up on who's a Republican and who's a Democrat when we know full dang well that the Republican Party has been infiltrated by the progressives and the Democrat Party has been infiltrated by the progressives. The Reagan Democrats all are gone. And if there's a creature called the, the Trump uh, Democrat, uh, we keep getting reports that there's a lot of Democrats that aren't going to vote for Hillary and coming over to vote for Trump. Uh, and this may be true, but are there going to be enough to over, you know, to overshadow the, overcome rather the the fraud? I mean, everywhere you turn around, you're hearing about these stories. I can't believe that any city that owns a Soros uh, voting machine, uh, and and I realize they're not his machines. I get that, but uh, or SCIU maintained. If I was on the city council of any of these places or a citizen of it and found out that these machines were being used by my city, I would go to the city council meeting and demand that they turn off these machines and that they do paper ballots so that there is integrity to our election process. With all these claims of fraud and all the, uh, you know, the accusations and videos you can watch on Twitter and Facebook of votes being changed and stuff, why would not a, the, the county – Counties run the elections in Texas and in most places in this country. Parishes and counties are the ones who run all this. Yeah, you're right, Steve. Uh, Comey realized that he was either he was given the option of suicide or compliance with the Clintons. There's no doubt about that. Um, the why, why would we risk using anything that Soros has touched, knowing there's fraud? And knowing that everybody is out here, you know, worried about it, why don't we just turn them off and go paper ballots? Uh, uh, who do I think – Heat Seeker is asking me, who do I think the military is leaning vote towards? Well, I'm going to surprise you by telling you that the majority of military is supporting Trump, according to all of my sources and contacts and everything I've read. But the majority of black people and uh, minorities rather not black but minorities in the military women 
blacks, Mexicans, um, you know, whatever, they, they are voting Hillary. And I'm thinking, how, you know, Hillary, her quote, I loathe the military. Loathe, not love, loathe the military. And the, I don't know what IMO means. Is that, in my opinion, is that what IMO means? Uh, yeah. Uh, how can you support somebody that hates you? And, and look at what happened with Benghazi. You know, look at how the military was treated in that by um, Hillary Clinton. Uh, Look at the way her and her husband treated the military when they were in office. Look at what happened at Haiti. What was that uh, Black Hawk Down, right, in the movie? Uh, What the hell? You know, again, the military was abandoned by the Clintons. They have a long history of this, but I'm told that a lot of women in the military are voting for Hillary because she's got a vagina. And that's more important. Yes, Ray Bob. And the blacks vote Democrat automatically without thought. So, you know, even ones in the military. And, uh, and, that, and this is not new, by the way. When I was in the military 20-something years ago, blacks voted for Democrats. And, uh, hey, Nola, welcome back. And, uh, and, you know, so are you okay? You look like you've been taking crack or something. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> calm down. Okay, come on. You got to be pretty. Come on. Be pretty. Yeah. You're squirming too much. I'm going to drop you. There you go, buddy. Oh, I missed that. I'm sorry. Lord, that was a that was a long sentence too. You type. You have to type it again because I missed it. I was. Uh, who do I think will win tomorrow? If the elections are honest, I believe Trump is going to win. But I don't believe that the elections are going to be honest. I believe there's too much fraud in all the early voting, and so I believe there'll be fraud tomorrow. Um, the the Democrat Party has invested too much in fraud to not do it. You know, dead people are voting. Uh, you've got precincts with a person in the precinct has already voted early. And you watch, those precincts will also have people show up at the polls to vote. So, uh, uh I suspect there's going to be a lot of voter fraud. I suspect Trump knows this, which is why he caveated what he said about accepting the election results if they're honest. And I believe that both Hillary and Donald have lawyers stationed in just about every strategic place they need, ready to make this the legal battle of the century. If we think Al Gore and his idiocy uh, in Florida with the corrupt Democrats of the uh, Florida um, Supreme Court, or not Supreme Court, District Court, whatever it was that got involved uh, and had to be over, overruled. Maybe it was the Florida Supreme Court. Um, the, uh, if we think that was bad, this Hispanic and my family, 10 total, total for Jones. Hey, so Guzman says is, uh, they're Hispanic. I never would have guessed that. <laughs> is that Guzman or Guzman? Guzman? Um, the... Uh, Ten of them went and voted for Trump. So who are? What what state are you in, Guz? Are you in uh, Are you in Texas or some other state? I'm down here in in Fort Worth area. I won't vote early if I don't have to because uh, I don't like early voting. Guz man, okay, got it. I was saying it right then, Guzman. Um, the uh, Texas, all right. So fellow Tejasian, 
Um, I believe in paper ballots, for one thing. I have voted with the electronics. I think they're cool to do. But I have uh, down in San Antonio. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you're in the People's Republic of San Antonio, huh? <laughs> and, uh, but I'm voting paper ballot this time no matter what. And they're going to give me one or I'm going to fill a fit. Um, and you can only get those out of our early voting areas. You can only get that uh, in your precinct on election day. So that's good. I have a suggestion that we change after this election. Remember the chads. Yeah, the hanging chads were a nightmare, right? Uh, I think what we should do is we should get rid of early voting. And we should have what we call election weekend. All right? And this is what we do. We have federal holidays already. So what do we do? We add one more to the list. It's not going to kill us to do. And we call it election weekend. And Saturday and Sunday, the polls are open from 7 in the morning till 7 at night. And everybody gets to go and vote on that weekend. And therefore, uh, we have a universal picture across the country of what's going on. All these people that have buyer's remorse from early voting that want to change your votes, they're screwed, most of them. There's only like two states in this country that allow you to change your early vote, and I don't even know how they do that. Um, but, you know, and I'm, I'm going to look into that after the election and find out how that's possible at these states, what, what protection they have. You know, how do you know what they voted? They could just say they voted for Hillary and then go in there and vote for Hillary again. That's a, Missouri, show me state, the real numbers vote. Show me the real number of votes. That's exactly right. Um, uh, uh, we had, what, a debate right after the uh, early voting had begun? We have all these October surprises. Screw all that, because we're not all voting for the same people. The people that we know as Hillary and Donald are not the same people that the people voted for early voting. We have learned a lot this week about Hillary Clinton. And uh, I don't know if there's anything earth-shattering about Donald, but there have been, right? We, we've learned about the Donald and his potty mouth and, and his sex capades and, you know, and the other things uh, that we've learned about him. And that may make some people have buyer's remorse over early voting for him. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there are some that regret it. We aren't voting for the same people or the same concepts or the same ideas. And this is important that as Americans, we all come together at one time. And this is why it used to be one day you did it, you know, and if you couldn't find a way to do it, then, oh, well, you know, then thank you for trusting the rest of us to do it. Um, and we come together. We have a federal holiday on Saturday, which everybody gets paid. And then uh, we all go and we vote and we have the weekend to do it. So there's no excuse, no excuse at all not to, to vote. And then we have, it's, it's done. We don't have all the expense of running an early voting for a week or two. We all vote on the same concept. And another thing we do is we make it a closed primary system. There is no reason Democrats should be able to cross over and vote in the Republican primary or vice versa. Um, the... Uh, we don't need to be messing with the other party. This is a party choosing their person to lead them. And that party has a right to choose the person they want, whether it's a Hillary or a Donald or a Cruz or what. The party has a right to make that decision. And no one outside of the party has a right to participate because they're not part of the party. I mean, how hard is that concept, right? 
oh, it will retard participation. Oh, okay. You know what? If they want to participate in the Republican primary or the Democrat primary, all they got to do is become a Republican or a Democrat. You know, and, and guess what? Even if you do that in the primary, you're not held to that at the general election. No one says you have to vote for a, a Republican or a Democrat in the general. You get to choose. But if you're going to choose the party candidate, then by God, you ought to be part of the party. And I don't think you should just declare, I'm a Republican and be able to do it, or I'm a Democrat and be able to do it. You should have to participate. You should have to vote in the, in the primary, you know, not the primary, but the, uh, uh, the general election, uh, like for the gu- gubernatorial elections in your state. You should have to vote uh, and declare in those primary voting uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. And the only way you can get involved in party politics is by becoming part of the party. And so just because you're a Republican and you're registered because you voted in the Republican primary, I don't think that that's enough to allow you to vote in the Republican primary, right? Because it's the party. It's the party. And if you, everything should be caucus for primary, caucus for require more involvement. I like the concept of caucuses. Because they're small, you know the people that are there, and you communicate and you convince each other. You talk. You, you use um, the debating techniques of persuasion in caucuses, caucuside. But why do you think you have a right to participate in a party's politics if you're not a member of the party? I mean, do you go to the meetings? Parties have meetings. Do you, you know, do you go to the phone banks? Do you help, you know, finance? Do you help recruit? Do you go on precinct walks? You know, do you belong to the Republican Woman's Club or the, you know, the Lincoln Club or the Log Cabin Republican Club even? You know, I have no problem with that. Hey, you know what? They're active and they get to help choose. I'm okay with that. What I have a problem with are the Fairweather ones the Republican Southern Conference every year in New Orleans. Whew, I might go to that pretty soon. I'm retiring in about 19 months, and when I retire, we're taking the show on the road and we're going to do things like that. And, um, But at the least, we need to close the primary. We need to focus it onto a two-day period of a Saturday and a Sunday and make it a federal holiday. God knows half of the federal employees anyway are out working for Democrats on the job, So we might as well just declare it a federal holiday and get them out. Get this. Yes, RV time. I'm thinking about that. My parents did that for a long time, and they loved it. Think about this. My mother told me today, she she could not believe this. She read something today. I don't know where, and I haven't been able to research it because I got home just in time for the show to start. That over that. It's either 50-50 or like 51-49% of the country now are employees of government, whether it's central government or state or county, right, or city. But over at least every other person in our country has a government job. They work for government. How is that possible? How is that possible to sustain? Government takes money for productive people. Government does not create money. Government does not create jobs. So how do they get money? 
They get money by taxing, by creating fees, by taking money from productive people and putting it into their treasury. That's how governments get money. So paying government employees is not a plus to the economy because it was already in the economy and it was taken under duress by our governments out of the economy and put into the government treasuries at any level you pick and then given as, as, as salary to government employees. This is not a plus to our economy. It's a negative. And when every other person that you see in this country is a government employee, that says something. Now, I'm a government employee. I draw a disabled military retirement check. I am medically retired from the Air Force. It makes me a government employee retiree. I'm also a mailman. I am a letter carrier. And I'm a government employee. But guess what? I actually have a job in the government that is provided for by the Constitution. The mail service created by Benjamin Franklin, uh, who was the first postmaster in our country, followed the Constitution and set it up. Congress, one of its enumerated powers, was the authority to create roads, not just roads for you to ride your horses on or your cars in the future, because I'm sure they knew that. What they were required to fund and build were postal roads. That's right, roads so that our fat butts could get down them on our horses to deliver the mail across the country, to expedite it. Congress had the power to create postal roads. It was changed in the 50s under Eisenhower, under the purview of, well, if we could do that for the post office, we need to do it for the military. So we'll create an international highway system so that we can move military vehicles around the country as we need. We'll disperse bases all around the country. And then we'll be able to move military vehicles on there. These highways were not designed and built for you and I to joyride or to go to work on. They were designed for the mail to be delivered and military to move its units and its equipment. It just happens to be a, a good thing that we don't have to do that very much. So we get to go and uh, <laughs> mail, roads, mail, and foreign invasion are the major reasons of government. Right? And exactly right. And that's like three of the seven enumerated powers of this. So anyway, yes, I'm a government employee. No, I'm not a hypocrite because I'm constitutionally mandated. The bureaucracy, the fourth level of government, is unconstitutional, as you have learned on this show over and over and over. And they need to go. They are a siphon off of our money. They are a leech to society. They are unconstitutional. They are illegal. And they destroy our economy. They do not help. Just because they got paychecks do not mean that that money goes back into the economy and helps it because it was already taken out of the economy just for the sole purpose of giving it to give it, to give it back, which makes no sense. 50 to 51% of our country our government employees. Then let's look at this. 53% of the country gets a check from the government. Now, that is an old statistic that I had that's like 10 years old. I wonder what it would be like today. And if anybody out there has the time to do that research and find out, let me know. I'll give you a hat tip and we'll, uh, we'll broadcast it. But if it's still 53%, and I'm sure it's higher because now we know that 50 to 51% of our country gets a check from the government directly. 
for employment. We have the military. You have retirees in the military. You have the National Guard and Reserves. You have, whoa, okay, buddy, you're going down before you get hurt. You have, okay, come on, your turn. (laughs) Here's all of them. You have uh, all the welfare people that are getting checks. You have all the Social Security people getting checks. You have all the Social Security disability people getting checks. And I would say that we are probably looking at 75% of our country get a check from government. And that should scare the living snot out of you. What? Yeah, I know. I know you too. And people tell me, oh, Professor, you're just overreacting. That's no big deal. You know, they've got jobs. At least they're working, right? <laughs> it's no better than being – most government employees are no better than if they were just on welfare because they're not helping the economy. In fact, what they're doing is unconstitutional acts. They're creating rules, regulations, and, and things that we have to follow. They're not elected. They're not accountable any more than Hillary Clinton's accountable. At least she was elected from some of her jobs like the Senate. I wonder how honest that election was now, now that we're looking at all these things she does. I wonder how, um, <clears throat> how honest Hillary's Senate election was. You guys on Periscope want to see something funny? Watch this. Can you see her? I'm going to tilt the camera here. Okay, now watch this. Okay, I put my hand on her back, and she'll do it here in about five seconds. Okay, do it. Do it. Oh, turkey. <laughs> She's not going to do it for y'all. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, if I put my hand on her back, she starts going back and forth like this to scratch her back. If the Democrats rig debates, what won't they rig? Exactly. You know, and that tells you something. For all you people that haven't voted yet and are going out tomorrow, why would you vote for Hillary Clinton knowing that, A, the only way she could win is if the fix was in with the primaries. B, she couldn't even attend a debate with Bernie Sanders, a, a communist of all things, a so, about socialist, but really a communist with, with dreams of uh, grandeur and fascism. How could you not win a debate against Bernie Sanders? The guy's a moron, especially economically. She had to have it rigged. She had to be given the questions. We know there are stories about her debates with her and Trump that she had earpieces in and that they were broadcasting answers to her. And, and I would not doubt if we find out that they, she was given the answers aforehand by you know, her willing accomplices in the, in the media. So my question to you is, if you think Hillary is your, your man for the job, why? Why would you want somebody who can't even debate Bernie Sanders in the office with the nuclear button. You know, you, whatever you think about Donald Trump, at least you know he's a man, he, he's a leader, right? He, he runs a powerful organization, a business. Oh, here we go. Yeah, she's doing it. You see? Come on, do it. I got you. Do it. And I think she's afraid of falling. <laughs> she doesn't like doing it in this chair. And, uh, Honestly, the best candidate for you is one who has to cheat in order to get through a debate. And, yeah, because Trump's a racist and a sexist that 
they want Hillary. <laughs> who, who, you know, now there's emails out there about pedophilia associated with Hillary. Right? This is what they're actually looking into with the Huma emails. And Wiener is pedophilia. Not just the 15-year-old he was sexting. And they got rid of him awful fast, didn't they? They shoved him in some Betty Ford-type clinic uh, for sexual abuse people, uh, a specific one for um, Internet porn or something like that. And and they got him out of the limelight so he couldn't say or do anything more damaging to Hillary and Huma. Uh, so, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if in the very near future Anthony Weiner commits suicide. <laughs> uh you know, as many of the other people associated with the Clintons that cross them do. But we, pedophilia, satanic rituals, why is that your choice? If you couldn't, you know, I'm pretty sure if I drew a face on a paper sack and stuck it on a podium, that that paper sack would win a debate against Bernie Sanders. So my question is, why would Hillary have to have help to win? Well, it could it be that she's got some kind of disease? <clears throat> we already know about all those things. You know, the medical teams, the doctors following her everywhere, the guys with the shots, the uh, falling face first, uh, you know, the special van with not only a little rascal on it, but, but a medical bed in the back and all that. I mean, all these stories, right, of her falling asleep, her lack of campaign activity, her lack of energy. Uh, how do you listen to my show other than Periscope? You're a rush baby. All right, rush baby. My daughter's a rush baby. Um, you go to blogtalkradio.com uh, slash underground professor or go to iTunes and look for UGP Radio, underground professor, UGP Radio. And you can find me there, or you can just go to undergroundprofessor.us and get a, find ways to listen to my show on my website, which my daughter did. Uh, not too bad website, I guess. Uh, she's working on it still, but uh, you can help me there. And I get emails, I get like 4,000 a day, but radio show at undergroundprofessor.us is uh, the email. Um, they ruled out, they don't, <laughs> Zarina says, uh, they don't know what drugs Hillary's on, but they've ruled out truth serum. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> That's one she's not near. Uh, a show note, now that I'm thinking about it, um, my Santa work, I'm going to be so, you're stealing that? Nola's going to steal that, Mary. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I like that, too. The uh, My Santa, I'm getting a lot of gigs, and so I don't know how much I'll be able to do in December. Agador is trying to convince me just to take December off. Uh, I probably will be able to broadcast the first week of December, and I'll let you know then how it goes. I'm going to continue on through um, uh, November normally, and and then I'll let you see how that goes because, uh, you know, Santa, that's that's the important thing at, at December. And uh, and I picked up some uh, some gigs that are pro bono, that are charity gigs. Like I'm, I'm going to be doing a child leukemia one, and I'll, I'll talk about that on, uh, on Thursday's show. We'll discuss the. I'll tell you about the organization and everything. But they're having a big fundraiser uh, on December the sixth, I think, and 
and I'll be going to that and helping them raise money for leukemia, for child leukemia, uh, which is just another thing like child diabetes. It's just devastating. And I've, uh, I've decided because of my experience with, with my future brother-in-law, uh, who's 10 and <laughs> can you imagine having a brother-in-law that's 10, um, and his child diabetes, I've decided that, that Santa is going to get into the charity work for, for leukemia and child diabetes this year. And, um, whether they want me to or not, <laughs> we're going to get involved with that. And when we get to December, I'll let y'all know what I'm doing, what organization I'm with and how you can help them. Uh, and hopefully this audience who has a big heart, uh, uh, will help us with this and, uh, and show them some love <clears throat> And do it in time for uh, tax deductions from Uncle Sam. So, uh, anyway, here's a, by the way, here's my, here's my card for, uh, for, for Santa. Can you see, this? let me see, there you go. I can see what I look like as Santa. <laughs> that's my work Santa outfit, not my good one. That's the one I wear in my mail truck during Christmas. I have a Santa suit from Scotland. I'll, I'm going to have some pictures done, and I will post them on Blog Talk, and and you guys can see it in Periscope. And I always, on Christmas Eve, uh, one of the things I do is I go to people's houses and I get caught uh, putting presents out, right? Because uh, I'm Santa, and that's what I do. If I get caught, then I sit there and I'll drink the milk and cookies with the kids and talk with them for about half an hour, tuck them into bed and go. That's one of the things I do as a, as a Santa. And uh, uh, when I get, before I do all that on Christmas Eve, last year we started the tradition. I think it was last year. Maybe it was before, but I know I did it last year. What we decided is we were going to wear a tradition, or start a tradition of um, reading the night before Christmas on Christmas Eve live on Periscope and um, on radio. And um, so last year, me and Mandy Sue did it. Saint, uh, Mandy Claus uh, was what we called her. And she had her little Santa outfit on, and I had mine. So this year, Olive and I will be doing it. Olive Claus and, and Santa Claus will be reading the uh, night before Christmas uh, live and on the air. Yes. So <laughs> Santa's supposed to wear black boots, like a black-booted uh, thug, huh? <laughs> but, uh, I wear... Uh, what do I wear? I guess I wear brown boots. I've been thinking about buying a, another pair of combat boots uh, to wear with my Santa outfit. Uh, nice black shiny ones. Maybe get some patent leather ones, uh, but I don't know. I like my soft leather boots. They're comfortable. And they're tall. I, I wear, uh, I wear uh, tall shank cowboy boots. And they have red trimming in it that matches my Santa outfit. And they have little red crosses on the top in front. Uh, so I do that. Uh, I am St. Nicholas more than I am Santa Claus. I'm not the commercial version. I'm the religious version. And another thing I do on Christmas Eve, there is a church over on Broadway and Belknap in Haltom City. And they have a live crash out there. Uh, still, surprisingly, they get away with it. And... And, uh, yeah, all of the other reindeer. That's right. <laughs> Remind me to use that line, too, when I'm doing the show, Mary. Uh, one of the things I like to do is go to that and 
Santa goes and takes a knee. I missed last year because I got there too late and they'd already closed up shop. But uh, I tried to go out there while they do the live crash on Christmas Eve and take a knee up there near the cradle and uh, to remind people that this isn't about Santa Claus. This is about Jesus Christ and his birth and saving of mankind. And that I, as Santa Claus, am honoring that. And that's what Santa celebrates. And this is why Santa gives presents, because Jesus was a present to us. And Santa was so moved, I decided to give presents to everybody. That's the premise, and that's what I work for. So, there's that. All right. Oh, boy, goodness. Um, Huh. (laughs) Well, that can't be good. I just got like five email messages from USAA. <laughs> I have to go figure out what's going on there after the show. Uh, all right. So where was I on that? Well, you talked about Trump. I think it, my predictions, I predict, and I I haven't changed my predictions unless, unless I have, but I don't think I have. Mary's been writing down all of our predictions, all the hosts she listens to. So we'll see how accurate I am here. But I believe that Johnson's going to get 4 to 5% of the vote and that Jill, what, what's her name, is going to get up to 1% of the vote. And I think those would be the disaffected votes, the people who won't vote for Hillary and can't vote for Trump. And so I think that, that the libertarians are going to look good this year with Four to five percent of the of the vote, maybe up to six, but mostly probably four to five percent. All right, so let's call that percent of the votes done, leaving us with ninety-four percent. I believe out of that ninety-four percent, it'll be split between Trump and Clinton. And I believe that Trump is going to get between fifty-one and fifty-five percent of that vote leaving the rest for Hillary, if the elections are honest. You see Clinton and Kane and their campaign events, and they have like 20 to 100, 200, 300 people showing up to these things. And then you have Trump, who has a line a mile long, thousands. 50-40, yes. Um, I, 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 that's out of, I, and I also, I said 50-40 out of the 90%, so I misspoke, Mary. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, let me see here, 6%, right, uh, at least 94%, uh, 50% would leave 44%. And so I think that Trump is going to get 51 to 54%, and Hillary is going to get 40 to 44% of the vote. So that's that's it. I think that's accurate. I think that's what I mean uh, when I say all that. I hope that's right. <laughs> so anyway, write that down, and uh, and uh, that that'll be my new official. I'm sticking with it. And I'm not going to change it. Saying, uh, can I get a few thoughts about Obama campaign for Hillary? Uh, specifically, what? Because Obama and Hillary are very concerned that if if they're not, if she's not elected, that 
they're in trouble. All right. Part of Obama's concern is, is that Obamacare will be dismantled. And the one thing that, you know, he thinks is going to be his legacy and that we'll all remember and thank him for. I think that's wrong. I think we'll all remember and hate him for it. But um, you, you Mary says 62-35. 62 Trump, 35 Hillary. Well, that's that's more than me. But you're, I think you're not giving Johnson or uh, or Jill, what's her name, uh, any credit either, are you? on that (laughs) so um what did i just say oh obama i think he's worried about his legacy quote unquote but i also think he's worried about jail time uh i think he's corrupt i think hillary's corrupt i've heard that hillary has claimed shrieked and yelled at people and threw stuff at him and said that if she doesn't get elected that they're all going to jail and uh uh, oh, there's nothing – well, presidents can campaign – there's nothing that says a president can't campaign for somebody or endorse somebody. That, the problem is is that they use government product to do so, right? And and they no one can do that. Like Congress, if you're a congressman, you can't have staff or your office – or do anything about your election. You have to have a separate staff and a separate separate election uh, office outside of government and paid for by campaign funds. That's how strict this stuff is. But um, and we're finding out with these emails that the Obamas are coordinating with the Clintons that congressmen are coordinating with the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation, let's not take that out of the perspective, that the media is coordinating with the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation, and on and on and on. Uh, super PACs, you know, everything are coordinating. And that's all against the rules that that, that idiot uh, John McCain and the others, McCain-Feingold crap, right? They're violating all that stuff. Uh, but the problem I have with restricting a president, albeit whatever political party they're on, they're always president, right? They've always got secret service. They fly on Air Force One. They can't get on an American Airlines flight or a charter and fly around the country campaigning. They have to use official stuff. And so a president has to have some dispensation. Now, what they normally do in the past was that they would go – and they would do something for the country, and then they would go off and do a fundraiser or a political event or something afterwards while they just happened to be where they were. So they kind of created a situation where they would be where they needed to be to campaign, and it would be an after-the-fact thing. And they kind of got around the rules that way. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I don't like anything Obama does. Anything he does pisses me off and I'm against it, even if it's legal or right or customary or what. Excuse me. Trying not to yawn. That's two yawns, Mary. And, um, but the fact is also, if you put it in this perspective, that almost everything Obama's done has been illegal, Right. And what's, why not this? Why not campaigning? He should be running the country. 
But how many times have you been on a golf course? You know, especially like when people are dying in Benghazi or or <clears throat> going to fundraisers in Vegas or, you know, it's, this man is not running the country because he doesn't have to. He's not running it. When Hillary was Secretary of State, her and Huma and Valerie Jarrett were running the country. Now it's pretty much just Valerie Jarrett because John Kerry is an, a buffoon. And, and I probably should go ahead and just apologize to all buffoons out there that I've associated you with John Kerry. Um, but Clinton, you know, I, I heard something uh, – Chris Alcedo, I think is his name, uh, has got a show over here in Dallas. And he calls Clinton the resident-in-chief because <laughs> he's the resident in the White House. <laughs> that's all he is. And, and that's absolutely correct. He is the resident-in-chief. Uh, he is not the president in, in reality. George Soros and Valerie Jarrett and, and that ilk, that cabal, and, and – God help me, but I've become a conspiratorialist like Alex Jones, right? Uh, that's the people that are running this country and making decisions. That's why Obama didn't need to be awake during the Benghazi crisis uh, or during the decision-making process of whether or not to get uh, Osama bin Laden. Um, and that's because, you know, Obama's not in charge. I guess he's like a senior in high school at the end. Yeah, that's exactly right. In the military, we had a, a joke. People, you know, and, and it wasn't just me, but people called me a Rhodes Scholar when I was getting short. You know, when you get short, meaning your time's almost up. And uh, five military officers died last week. I haven't even heard that news today. Oh, my gosh. What happened there? Uh uh, but in the military, when you're getting short, getting ready to retire or, or you know, muster out, they called you a Rhodes Scholar, and it's R-O-A-D. And what it stood for was retired on active duty, meaning you're still active and you should be serving your country, but you basically are phoning it in. You're not showing up. You're not doing what you have to do. You're out processing, going through the checklist of getting off of base housing and, and separation of the military. And that's not an easy thing. You've got lots of meetings and organizations you have to meet and do and, and, and checklists and counseling and stuff you have to go through to be able to leave the military. So it's, it's almost a full-time job to leave the service. So you get the nickname Road Scholar when that happens. Um, that's kind of what Obama is. He's, he's a Road Scholar. He's a... Uh, you know, phoning it in. He's on golf courses. He's out promoting. And 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 I I think this is another perspective you could look at. If he's out campaigning for Hillary Clinton, at least he's not out managing Congress to get another tax raise or to screw us over with another rule or regulation. You know, he's he's busy campaigning. Means he's not in our back pockets. <laughs> so um, that that might be a bonus <laughs> to. I was I was always one that thought we should encourage his golf play, get him out on the golf there because then he's not, you know, spending our money or or raising our taxes, and, uh, or creating more rules and regulations. But, uh, yeah, it was you're right, Heat Sinker. It was a it was laughable 
when Obama compares himself to Hillary, or not to Hillary, to Lincoln and Washington. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, though, that Obama's done. What was her name? Was it Gloria Rodriguez or something like that? He was in an interview with one of the most vacuous women I've ever seen in my life. And I, I guess it was some kind of Hispanic television that he was on, and he was being interviewed. And this bimbet, uh, news bimbo, asks him about citizens of this country being their voting being suppressed. And then she qualifies it by stating, and, and, and I may be paraphrasing it, but I think I've got it pretty much accurate. Um, she, par- she, she states that she clarifies that by calling them citizens, what she meant was dreamers, which by definition is not a citizen, right? I mean, they're dreaming of being one. So, you, well, anyway, that's why I say she's vacuous. But the reason that she calls them citizens, as she states, is because they contribute to our economy. Now, if I was on that show, I would have turned around and said, well, we contributed a billion dollars to Iran. Uh, does that make us citizens of Iran and we can go and vote in their elections? We, we give a lot of money to Saudi Arabia and the other OPEC nations. Uh, we contribute to their economy. I mean, we are their economy. So do we get to vote in all their elections, if they even have them? You know, most of them are tyrants, but uh, look at all the money that we send to the South American countries, whether it's an aid or illegals over here getting jobs and then sending money home to pay for them to eat and pay the bribes to their government officials so they can continue to live. Uh, does that mean we get to go to Mexico and vote? Well, the answer, of course, any idiot knows, is no. We don't have a right to vote in these other countries' elections simply because we contribute to their economy any more than these illegal people have a right to vote in our election because they contribute to our economy. I've always said that God must love idiots or he wouldn't have made so many of them, but my gosh, you know, how stupid do you have to be to say stuff like that? But this is who this is who participates in the American system. This is who votes. This is who is out there disseminating information to people with her show, whatever her show is on television. People watch it, and they're going to hear this, and they're going to think, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, Mary's got a good point. China contributes 40% of our operating budget for our government in the form of loans. Do they get to vote in our election? The answer is hell yeah. They, they give a lot of money to the Clinton Foundation, and, and so I'd imagine they get to vote over in our elections too. Uh, but the sh- real answer should be no. They shouldn't. The, these people, but what does the president do? Does the president say, uh, uh, excuse me, dreamers aren't citizens. And yet they may contribute to the economy, but they also drain from the economy. And the cost to our economy is more than what they offer. So no, they don't get to participate. That's not how you participate. You participate in the election process of this country by being a citizen, whether naturally born or naturalized. That's it. Anybody, any, any beaner wants to do it from Mexico can come right on in and be a citizen. All you got to do is apply. It's done all the time. 
my family is a bunch of hillbillies. We came over from Scotland. We were the creators of eubonics, not my family, but people like Scotland and those guys, right? So when we came over, but we came over to this country in 1775, we did it legally. We did it by the rules that were in place at that time. <clears throat> when we came over to this country, after we got independence, there were rules in place. You either had to own property to vote or you had to make an equivalent of $20 a year. That wasn't a fortune. That was what was considered a normal income, middle class, if you will. There wasn't a middle class at the time. We were busy creating it. But that was what was considered a normal income. It was enough skin in the game if you made $20 a year in 1780 to say, okay, you make enough that the government may want to take some of it, and so you have something at risk. And if you have something at risk, if you have skin in the game, then you need to participate and vote. And that's why these things were set up. Some of the states even had religious tests in order for you to vote. And that was constitutional, by the way, because the Constitution doesn't prevent states from having state religions. It simply prevents the national government, the state government, from having a nationalized religion, if you read and understand the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We have had very various immigration policies all the way up until the 60s when Ted Kennedy rewrote it and screwed it up because it then became designed to prevent Christians and white people from coming into this country as, as um, immigrants, which was odd because Kennedy is Irish. And if you know about this country's history, you know what hell we Irish went through coming to this country. There were signs everywhere. Irish need not apply. No Irish. Why, you know, that's why they're all in government, by the way, because they all became policemen or they, or they joined the government somehow in order to get a job, uh, doing jobs that no one else wanted to do. And now that's where we all are, the Irish and the Scots. But <clears throat> we became citizens of this country legally in my family. We have had many people in our family come over since uh, then and became legal citizens. Many went through Ellis Island. And, uh, oh, goodness, you know what? Uh, Mary, you'll get a kick out of this. I, and it's, I hope I don't forget my point, but I want to tell you this. On, on Thursday's show, I'm going to put a picture in the hopper on Blog Talk Radio. You guys won't be able to see it. On Periscope, but it is a campaign poster we found. My aunt is, is an incredible researcher, and she found a campaign poster for Wilberforce Jones, my great-great-great or great-great-great-great-grandfather. I'm not sure how he is, but, you know, uh, uh, I've talked about him on my show in the past, uh, and uh, that he was a, a judge in Oklahoma, and uh, he has ties to the Underground Railroad and whatnot and John Brown and all that, you know, because we helped set that all up. And uh, our family's credited with over 2,000 uh, slaves 
being snuck out of the South and through the railroad and brought to freedom. Uh, my family paid its dues <laughs> on this. Uh, so this is one of the reasons that I talk about politics the way I do, that I'm not afraid of, of talking about it. And um, But anyway, we got a campaign poster from one of his elections, and I'm going to put that in the hopper on Thursday's show. Uh, Mary says the jobless jobless people should not be able to vote. Uh, you know what? I think that the there should be one one thing that you, you two things. You need to be a citizen. Well, I guess several. You need to be a citizen of this country legally. You need to be 18 or older. And I'm one of these people who believes if we're going to make 18 legal, then 18 should be legal for everything. Forget this. 21 crap to buy beer, cigarettes, 18 for everything. If you can go in the military and serve your country, then by God, you should be able to drink and be able to smoke and be able to vote at 18. So, citizen of this country legally, 18 or older, and pay income taxes. If you did not pay money to the IRS for income tax, meaning that your refund check exceeded the amount of taxes you paid so that you got a net bonus, then you should not be allowed to vote. If you get earned income credit taxes, you should not be able to vote. If you get welfare, you should not be able to vote. You should realize that these are gifts from taxpayers, and you should not be able to vote for people that will be giving you more for your vote. But that's just me. The founding fathers would have a cow over our legal system of voting right now and who's allowed to vote and how we push the boundaries. When you hear these people out there talking about how it's imperative that we let people vote and that we shouldn't even have provisional balloting, that we should just allow anybody who wants to vote to vote because that is so important. You know what? (laughs) I I bet if it was their election and we were doing that to them, they wouldn't think it was that important. But, you see, it's important to them because they need fraud to win. They need fraud to win. If they win, then you know there's been fraud. This election cycle especially. The only people who should be allowed to vote are that. Robert Heinlein wrote Starship Troopers, one of my favorite books. Now, Robert Heinlein was not a constitutional. I believe that he liked communism and he liked socialism and whatnot. It was found these things appealing and tyranny. Voting without IDs. You should have an ID to vote. If you can't prove who you are, then why should we allow you to vote? It's too important to, to do. So the Starship Troopers has this very interesting premise that you have a choice, a dual-track citizenship. You can either be a merchant and go out and have a business and make lots of money and live your life with luxury, or you can go into government. And the way you go into government is by going into the military first. And then after military service, you get to vote. Now, here's what I would do. This is the professor's idea, that we have a dual-track system, whether you're illegal or or a legal citizen, that doesn't matter anymore. 
We can get rid of that distinction in the professors of America. You can either come over here and work in this country because we're going to end welfare. That's just not a government job. Right? Go back to the churches if you need help. Uh, go to this, the, the mutual aid societies if you need help. Do not, and go to charities if you need help, but do not look to government for that because that's not government's function. We end all welfare from government, and that ends that entire class of voters that we have to worry about. Then we have a dual-track citizenship. You can either, again, be a merchant, go in here and work, mow lawns, sell Lamborghinis, whatever, and live in our country and, and enjoy the protections of freedom and liberty and our military and the rule of law. Or you can go into the military. You will serve at least 10 years. And after your 10-year commitment, if you live, then you, also, you, you get two things. You get the right to vote, which the other class does not get to vote. And you have the privilege of getting a job either in the merchant class or in government. But the only way to have a government job, whatever level, whatever job, whether it's elected as a senator or to be a exciting career path of the DMV, pushing license plates across to people. The only way to get that job is after service in the military. Now, won't that thin the ranks? <laughs> and those jobs should be paid by the government for your service. And I think that that's the way it should be. Now, you can disagree. You can tell me if you've got any finer points or why it won't work, and I'll entertain all that. I'll even talk about it. I'd love to, but what would that do to our country with just that change? Would it be better? Could it become utopia? Or would it be a hellhole? I don't know. I'd sure love to give it a try. <laughs> I'd sure love to give it a try. For one thing, if you didn't serve in the military, you couldn't serve in government. You shouldn't serve in Congress. You couldn't run for president. Wouldn't that change the perspective of who gets those jobs? Someone who has actually served and risked everything for this country. Those are the people who deserve to lead us. Now, I get a lot of people don't agree with me. I bet you most people wouldn't. I'd imagine my family would not agree with me on that. And Mary brings up another point. Uh, I think that Congress should get the same pay scales that the military gets and, and that your pay scale should be based on whether you're in the Senate or the House would be whether you get paid as an officer or as an enlisted man and that nobody in Congress can get paid more than the people in the military. So you know, for instance, all senators should get O3 pay, captain pay, right? And all members of the House should get master sergeant pay. Now, if you are in leadership 
of either party in the house, like you know the whip or the you know of that of that nature, or the majority minority leaders, then you get a bump in pay. You get the next level, O4 pay or E8 pay. And if you are the Speaker of the House, then you get E9 pay. And if you are the uh, majority leader of the Senate of the party in power, then you should get O5 pay. And that's it. It's capped out there. You should not be making millions of dollars serving in the Senate while enlisted and officers qualify for welfare. You know, you have to be like a staff sergeant in the military before you don't qualify for welfare. Four stripes. Officers, the first two ranks, the captain is about the first time you can get out of needing welfare. Second lieutenants, first lieutenants, they qualify for welfare, especially if they have a family. That's wrong. It's wrong to have people serve in our country's military that are risking life and limb, sacrificing their freedoms and their liberties, suspending them anyway for a temporary basis, and then qualifying for welfare, qualifying for food stamps. It is wrong that our military could get food stamps to help feed their families. We should be paying them enough to feed their families. That is a disgrace. That's not opinion of mine. That is simply a disgrace nationally, a national disgrace. It's bad enough that people like Hillary pocket millions of dollars shortchanging Haiti for a billion dollars they promised to give them to rebuild after whatever happened down there. I don't know that you could tell. You know, a, a tornado or a hurricane blows through Haiti it usually does improvements, not damage. But by God, our military should be taken care of. Now, I know I'm biased. I I serve. But our military shouldn't be sitting on the street corners begging for food. Our military active duty should not be qualifying for food stamps. They should be getting paid enough. They should get enough food. They should not be needing this kind of help from us, and it is a shame of our country that they are. If Hillary is elected, will Congress stall her like they did Obama. I don't know. There is talk that Ryan and those guys are, and and, uh, and McConnell, and I, I tell you it's only talk. I don't truly believe that they have the spine to do it. But there's talk that if Hillary gets elected, they're going to try and indefinitely put off nominations to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure that there's even a precedence for that. But it's legal, just so you know. Congress doesn't have to appoint anybody to the Supreme Court. All they have to do is advise and consent. So if if Hillary makes a nomination, which is her right, she can nominate someone every single day if she wants. She can nominate 50 people for the Supreme Court on day one if she wants. But it's up to Congress to decide if they're actually going to consent to anyone. And all they have to do to fulfill their agreement is to say, we're not going to take this up. And there have been lots of times where Democrats have not taken up Republican nominations for whatever purpose. And so there, are, there is a precedence with that. Not, not so much a new president and then refusing to take up uh, anyone to do it, but 
certainly, uh, you know, and, and then when they do take it up, look at what they do. We got a verb in our country now called borking. And that's because of what they did to just uh, judge Bork. And so that's, that's wrong. Um, um, I don't know what our country is going to do if Hillary gets elected. I, I tell you, it will hit me hard if this happens. I don't know. Uh, I, I know I won't be happy. She can do recess appointments. That's true, Doc. If, if Congress recesses, then they can do recess appointments. But Congress has learned that little trick of staying in session indefinitely by having a certain number of people go in and, uh, and holding a session every day so that they stay in session instead of sign, Klein dying, or however you say that. And, uh, <clears throat> but if she does a recess appointment, then if they go on like Christmas break or something, then that's a recess. And the, you know, like the summer break and stuff that they take, she can make that appointment, and that appointment sticks until Congress comes back into session. And, uh, but what happens is, is that they stay in that job until Congress removes them and replaces them with somebody else. So it's not a good thing to, to let it happen. Hey, Athena, no, don't do that. And um, so, yeah, there should be, Mary says there should be Supreme Court term limits. I, I think, um, I'm not so sure I want term limits for the Supreme Court. I like what the founding fathers did there. Let me instead suggest this, that for the Supreme Court, you serve one-year terms indefinitely for life. Once you get nominated and approved and consented to by Senate and you take your oath of office, then you serve for life in the Supreme Court. But you get an up or down vote every year by we the people. All right? So if we think you're not, by, if we think you're not following the Constitution, it doesn't matter that you're a Supreme Court justice. You don't have, just because you put on that black robe does not mean you're the only one who understands how the Constitution works. And you're not the final arbiter of it anyway. We, the people, are the final decider of what's constitutional and what's not. Not the Supreme Court. And so my position is this. Athena, I'm going to murder you if you don't stop that. My position is, is that we get an up or down vote every November 4th on all the Supreme Court justices. And so there'll be all nine on the ballot, and there'll be a, a approve or disapprove. And if they get more disapproval than they get approval, then they're removed, and the president has to nominate someone else. And that way we, we don't need term limits, uh, and they can serve for life as long as they continue to act constitutionally. Now, the sad thing is, is that, yes, I like that idea, but here's the downfall. All the Democrats will vote for the Supreme Court justices that vote or that, that make decisions that are unconstitutional. And they'll vote against the constitutional Supreme Court justices like Scalia and Thomas. And so there's a dual-edged sword by having an up or down vote every year because there are too many people in this country who do not understand how the Constitution works, which is why I have a show. Worse, because of Common Core, every year we graduate more idiots due to, who have less and less understanding of how the government works. 
and what their role in it is and what the government's rights are, what their powers are. And so we put people out there that don't understand, and then we give them the vote, and then they're going to vote against the constitutional people. And so my idea has a double jeopardy in it. Uh, see, Doc says, I don't like that prop, just need restricted vetting process and should be two-thirds to confirm. Yeah, I, I think a supermajority should be required to confirm a justice, not 51%. And uh, and that nuclear option that we're always hearing uh, uh, Harry Reid talk about, that it's 50 plus one to get people in, I, no. You know, you have an agreement in the Senate, and you know what it is, and you, you stick with it. You don't change the rules for Democrats and then change them again for Republicans. They should be consistent, and everybody should know what the rules are. At, um, uh, I, I have always been against term limits because I believe that we already have them. It's called the vote. The problem is m- most of us don't vote, and those of us that do don't understand the responsibility of it. I say that because they don't vote the way I do, so they must not be responsible. <laughs> and... Um, and so, uh, you know, the very fact that we have all these Democrats in office who are attacking the Constitution daily should tell you that our country doesn't understand the Constitution, and it doesn't understand what freedom and liberty is, it doesn't understand the role of government, and it doesn't understand its role as the sovereign. And this was done on purpose by dumbing down everybody in the school system, as many people as they can. Mind you, the people who go to Sidwell Friends, like the Obama's kids and, and the Clinton's kids, they have a better understanding of how government works than most of us because they're taught how it really works. They're not just taught what the founding fathers thought. They're taught how to manipulate government as a crony. And this is why Yale and Harvard are full of these kind of people that go to places like Sidwell Friends. It's a feeder system. And these people then go into government, and then they perpetuate these problems. They create these new laws, these new regulations that we all have to kowtow to. And they make it to where government has more and more power, and we have less and less. And that is why today I say I don't think, I don't think term limits will fix anything. Uh, and, and here's another reason why I believe that. Now, I'm, I'm not against term limits, mind you. I just don't think that they're going to serve the function that we want it to, to serve. The law of unintended results is just waiting for us to pass term limits on everybody. One of the things right now is that some congressmen are restrained from the actions they want to do out of fear of not being reelected. It's a small one, but it's there. These guys know they have 30 to 40 years to do all the crap they want to do because incumbents get reelected 95% of the time. So they're safe for the most part. And they're going to be there a long time. As long as they don't rock the boat too much, they're going to continue to do, you know, be reelected. And then they can do things incrementally over the years. They have lots of time to do the heinous things they want to do to us. If we put a term limit in, 
of, say, six years for the House, three two-year terms, which I hear a lot being proposed, then what you have just done is you have told that congressman he has six years to do all the crap he wants to do, and then he, he's out. And so he has to get it all done. And, um, and so I think what we'll do is we'll accelerate the damage being done to this country with term limits. And again, the law of unintended results. I got 10 minutes left. I just noticed there's a caller up there. I can give you a couple of minutes, caller, and we'll see what you got to say. Talk to us. Okay, Professor. Uh, I heard what you said about, uh, you know, Supreme Court nominees. And uh, that just doesn't go far enough. The microsecond <laughs> this woman takes the oath, they need to start impeachment proceedings. Immediately. I know they don't have the well, spine for that, but that's what they that's should do. Court, though. Yeah, that's that's Congress, not the Supreme Court. The House needs to start that. Yeah, they the don't House. Have the, that's what I mean. The House yeah. needs to start impeachment proceedings. Yes. Immediately. Yeah. When their hands on the Bible, they should be in Congress doing that, not out at the uh, inauguration. <laughs> exactly. They should be preparing, drawing up impeachment proceedings. The statute of limitations isn't even up. On the crimes this woman has committed, and what's right. more, uh, an impeachment is a civil proceeding. All they need is preponderance of the evidence. Yep, that's uh, that's right, and we have that. Uh, thank you, WikiLeaks. <laughs> so uh, more so than enough. I mean, we've got literally an avalanche. Just think if this woman was letting her maid type out, uh, print out classified information, handle it, read it, and give it to people. Just think if that is true. This woman ought to be, no, I'm not going to say that, but you know what I mean. Yep, Leavenworth, that's right. At At uh, the least. But of course that would be after she was impeached and removed from office. Then she could be prosecuted for all the other crimes she's doing. But my God, I mean, I don't even know why, you know, much... Accepting her Supreme Court nominees—that ought to be the minimum they ought to do. The uh, the what they actually should do is uh, send impeachment bill up to the Senate and let them yeah. try to run away from it. Yeah, well, and they will. But yeah, you're exactly right. They should impeach him and then have the Senate make the decision of removal. After uh, all, the they country. impeach Bill Clinton for infinitely less. Yes, actually right. And, and he deserves and to be impeached, by the way, for infinitely less. Yes. And let's not forget both Bill and Hillary lost their law license over that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so I think we ought to be doing that. I would have but, no but what do you think about the prospect of a rogue electoral, uh, uh, electoral college either for or against either candidate? I, I think we may see that. Uh, to be honest, I think that we may see a rogue electoral college this time, and I'm not against that uh, under the circumstances. Or at least some electors, because the framers did intend that to be another check and balance against the uh, imprudent vote of the of the people. Yes. Yeah. The there's only been a handful of of things historically of the electoral college voting against their instructions. But I think we're going to see. Yeah, I think we're going to see something this year, uh, 
Yeah, well, I doesn't... think in the total history of the Electoral College, uh, there's been a total in the entire history of the Electoral College of 111 electors who could be considered faithless electors. Right. 111. So obviously that isn't that many when you consider this. But then there's never been an election like this. And out of 111, it wasn't all like even in one election. They were they did not change anything by being faithless. Right, uh, that's, no but that's the total in all of American history. Out of all the electoral votes cast, I believe only 111 of them have been what could be considered faithless electors. I don't think any of the votes ever changed the course of an election. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So I should... I, I, I find this very interesting because, you know, first we've got to see what happens with the elections tomorrow, and then we've got to find out if the country believes that it was legal, you know, and fair and not fraud. And then if, if we do, then I think the Electoral College will do what it's supposed to do. But if, if this country believes that there was voter fraud in an extreme case, then I believe the Electoral College may may uh, be faithless to the system. But not only that, I would like to see the fact that, that I would like to see what would happen is is that the state legislatures would null and void the electoral process and then have the state legislatures then vote instead of the electoral delegates. And that the state legislatures, which have this authority, uh, yeah. to vote instead for the election and, uh, and bypass the fraud that way. And that would be better than having the electoral delegates go out and do it. And well, I, would like to I see think that. we need to remind people that the real election occurs on December 19th. That's right. That's, That's why the we president don't vote for is actually elected. We don't vote for president in this country. We vote for delegates that go to vote for it. And, correct. Uh, we vote for a slate of electors from each state, and that's we've got 50 separate state elections for president. Oh, 57. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in Obama's mind. Well, actually, That's 60. Right. He actually said there were 60 states in the Union. That's right, because he only been to 57 of them. That's right. He only been to, yeah, he only been to 57, and he had uh, two more. To, he, had, he was at one. He had two more to go. So <laughs> at 60 in his mind. Yeah. Does Army Girl need praying uh, for? Uh, Army Girl for Christ, Doc's wife, uh, uh, Mary says she's praying for us, so uh, I, uh, we'll all put our prayers in for there, too. And for Megan and, and uh, Jerry. Don't forget prayers for them. Uh, hey, it's good to hear you again. I've got to shut the show out. I'm going to be doing a show tomorrow with Kel and Ken and, and Ag and all those guys tomorrow. Uh, if you want to pop back over again. Roger that. We'll call. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, yeah. everybody. <laughs> I love him. He is so fun to talk to. He's he's like a version of me. <laughs> to, uh, to, so we have, um, oh, her mother's dying. Oh, no. Okay. Well, and then prayers for her mom, too, for Army Girl for Christ's mom, everybody. Uh, Fusion Nation, you got here just in time for me to say goodnight. Um, this is the Underground Professor. I'm going to sign off. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to make a command decision. I'm going to be back tomorrow at 7 p.m. for post-election coverage, and I'm going to go until 10 p.m., Periscope and on Blog Talk. 
and then our regularly scheduled Thursday show. Well, that'll be a lot of radio this week. And uh, and uh, and thank you for this uh, this show tonight. Uh, Coming, everybody. I it was ad hoc, but I I missed Sunday show, and I did not want to miss another show. I'm, I'm tired of missing shows, and so we made it. We did it, and it feels good to be back in the saddle again. Uh, we got so much to talk about always here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Press cover coming. Doc, Heat Sinker, Mary, Southern, and everybody from uh, uh, Blog Talk, welcome. Thank you. And I will say goodnight to y'all. Uh, this has been a production of UGP Radio, copyrighted, trademarked, and all that good fun stuff. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, click the like buttons, click the follow buttons, and we'll see everybody tomorrow night. 7 p.m. Central Texas time, God's time, via con tools, y'all. <laughs> A little Spanish lingo.